0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cana Rinse Podcast, Volume Ten, Issue Four Hundred and Sixty Two. We're going to talk about The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, the remake from 2019. If you are a close follower of the schedule, you may have thought this was coming later in the year. You are right. We swapped things around a bit for reasons to do with Metro Exodus getting a next-gen update. So we brought this one forward. Thanks to everyone accommodating us. Uh, but hopefully it shouldn't spoil your enjoyment if you're expecting Metro because you saw it right there on the title of the podcast. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue are Darren Gargett,
1: Links Remaking, in
0: that's right, and stepping in as a late substitute for Brian, it's John Salmon. Hello, thanks, John, and also returning from our previous Links Awakening podcast, it's Leah.
2: I'm also on the Metro show, so um, like I, it's just, I, I was going to be here anyway, basically.
0: Yeah, good point. Good point, but. Your brain is probably in quite a different place. The magical island of Koholint rather than the post-apocalyptic nuclear wasteland of of Russia. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe it's the same to you. I just don't know. We can't be (laughs) in each other's minds. That's part of the part of the thing about this. So Zeroda no Densetsu Yume o Mirushima Apologies for my Japanese is The Legend of Zelda Dream Island or The Dreaming Island. That's the original Japanese title again. This is The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. What is it? You probably know, but uh, we like to do this. We've been asked. It is a whimsical action puzzle RPG adventure and a remake of the 1993 slash 1998 2D top down fourth Zelda game originally for Game Boy. We covered that original Game Boy and Game Boy Color DX version game in our Legend of Zelda series where we went through all the mainline entries the only one we arguably didn't cover was Triforce Heroes mm. <laughs> Darren's still furious played about through that
1: it. game twice and we still haven't done a podcast on it yet
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Link's crossbow training only got a mention but we did all the other numbered Zeldas not that they're numbered but you know the mainline of the series and Link's Awakening landed in issue 212 we were only four games into the odyssey at that point so perhaps you know it might have landed a bit differently for us uh that was when did we record that i'm gonna say 2016 i'm uh, looking now sounds yes. about right five years ago good lordy lord uh but still we did uh those of us who are on many of those shows i think uh a few of us uh leah myself possibly josh did most of them so we did a lot of back-to-back zeldering which is uh You know, it's a different way to experience it rather than the often long gaps between the games. So we've had a little time away from the world of Zelda before coming back. But that's for context. Spoiler alert. We'll tell you about the story of this pretty old game. It's the same story as the original. Nothing's changed whatsoever. I think it's fair to say. The developer was originally Nintendo EAD. But this time duties were handed over to Grezzo, who often operate as a second party Developer for Nintendo. They also remade Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time for the 3DS, for example. Uh, I think they also worked on the 3DS port of Luigi's Mansion from the GameCube. Uh, They did co-develop Triforce Heroes as well with Nintendo EPD. Mm. So they have a lot of Zelda in their past. I think they were formed by a former Square Enix Person, uh, one of the Secret of Mana uh, people, mm. something like that. Uh, the game was announced with a trailer during uh, February 13th, 2019, Nintendo Direct, for a prospective Nintendo Switch exclusive release the same year. This was a surprise, since up until then the game had not appeared on any list of games in production for the Switch. That's according to IMDb. Who remembers this one popping up at that Nintendo Direct?
1: yeah absolutely it was a it was a massive surprise you know and for it only to be half a year until Mm. release yeah it was um you know they've been remaking or porting or transferring a lot of zelda games into the modern era it seems to be like whenever they're kind of developing a new one they kind of pepper in these kind of ports or or remakes to um keep us going so to speak yeah to see this probably wasn't like the massive surprise that Maybe some people were for me, but it was the art style that caught me off guard rather than, you know, mm. Link's, or Link's Awakening being remade. It was like, oh, they're doing something completely different here, which is nice to see.
0: As we're here, we've got a good spread of opinions among the correspondents from the Kane and Rince community. I don't know, honestly, about uh, about how we we all feel about it. I know how I <laughs> feel about it, although actually I'm still not certain how I <laughs> feel about it, yep. thinking about it. But uh, hopefully I'll get closer by the end of the show. Uh, but I think one of, the, one of the things that is, I would say, anecdotally accurate is that the art style has proved divisive. Maybe, maybe I could even use the word Marmite uh, for, uh, for there seem to be a lot of people who immediately fell in love with the look. And there are also others who really did not take to it whatsoever because it didn't look like, I guess, the Link's Awakening remake in their heads looked like. It uh, perhaps for them it didn't capture the original, well, the Game is, Boy charms.
2: This isn't exactly a new thing for a the internet and b Zelda fans because very true. Wind Waker uh, is yeah. the thing. Um, That's right. Yeah. yeah,
0: similar reaction in a way. Yeah,
2: yeah. At least in the beginning, I, I think maybe mm. opinions on that have have kind of smoothed over a bit in very more recent much, years. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean it. I I don't I don't know how the the general opinion has has kind of shaken out with this with the mm. remake here but um yeah it, it's it's I I I think that what uh, struck me a little bit more just was that it is a remake and it's not just like the the Majora's Mask and the uh um yeah. the uh, Ocarina of Time remakes for the 3DS were pretty much just straight ports I mean they had Tweaks and they had some gameplay changes, but it was Mm. mostly the same game. It wasn't like a complete overhaul with just kind of the same skeleton. It was it was more or less the same. So um this is a little bit more than that, I
0: think. The game was released everywhere September 20th, 2019. The game reviewed pretty well. 87%, recommended by 97% of 128 critics. But I would say Normally, Zelda games can almost kind of expect the 90% plus kind of region. So perhaps that suggests it wasn't quite as overwhelmingly well received as other mainline Zelda games. But um, it was still recommended by 97% of critics. So The game sold, as of June 2020, 4.57 million copies. Plus digital, we don't know. Of course, the original sold six million physical copies. Plus, we don't know how many virtual console downloads on the 3DS. User reviews just a little lower, only a little lower than the critic reviews. With folks on Nintendo Life having it at an average of eight and a half out of ten from 931, and Metacritic is on eight point four out of ten from well over a thousand punters. So yes, positive. Darren. What's your history with Link's Remaking apart from not coming up with the cute fake mm. internet title?
1: I'm actually a bit disappointed because I wasn't the first. Anyway, no. you,
0: if you came up with it independently of everyone else, then that's still, your, yeah, that's still own, your thing.
1: Yeah, it was first in my head. So it's me. I'm the best. Um, so I pre-ordered this as soon as I could via Smith's Toys. And uh, yeah, it was as simple as that. You know, Zelda games always kind of get a um a pre-order. If there's like a limited edition Version which I have got with this, like a black box Ah. with a lovely art thing on the front, and loads of trinkets inside that I haven't opened because I'm too scared to break them. Um, (laughs) yeah. So I went to Smith's Toys, paid for it, come home and played it. You know, I was quite excited to see a new Zelda game, even if it was a remake of one that I've only played through once, and that was kind of like Mm. relatively recently in in the series, you know, in the series arc of it all. You know, I played Links Awakening, you know, after Ocarina and probably after wind waker and stuff like that so you know relatively fresh in the mind compared to the whole series as a whole but i was still eager to see what the uh, new art style was all about and yeah i played through it once um got like 18 of the hearts and you know all the bits and the bobs, like a half of the shells you can get yeah i started playing it again because i got summoned for jury service this year and Mm. i thought i'm gonna play that again but the tension of being stuck in a lobby with 59 other people during a pandemic yeah. didn't really help me nah. enjoy a replay of Link's Remaking In, So I turned it off and I didn't go Not back Not conducive? To it. No. Hmm. No. Oh, Never mind.
0: Never mind. Leah, so you were on our original show about the Game Boy game. I was. What's your history with this one?
2: Uh, so, yeah, the original Game Boy game, I... um. I think, well, I know that that would have been around the time that I actually became part of the crew and on a more permanent basis. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm always in danger of getting fired, but not as much as, like, James. So, um, Sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, was, it was around then, and I, I don't think that this was one of the ones that I picked up, like, at the last minute. I know I did for, um... Uh, oh... Minish Cap was, was the one that I played in mm. like a week because uh, we, we needed another person. Um, I don't think this was one of those, but I did play the, the original just for the show. Like I had not played it before. Um, so that was my first time through that. And I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so this, I've actually gone back to my, uh, it's, I, I, I updated my list of games that I, uh, have completed, uh, used to just be a word document on my computer, but I put it into a spreadsheet in a Google doc. So I've got like 10 years worth of when I finished stuff on, on my Google doc. I went back and checked. This would have been the first game that I completed after pandemic started. So, uh, I finished it in March of, uh, of 2020, um, picked it up right around when it came out, probably, um, because that's just a thing that I do. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a little ways after the game actually came out, played it, uh, and then I played it again uh, a couple of weeks ago. And um, yeah, that's that's where I am with, uh, with this game.
0: Nice. John, you're a late sub, but uh, I understand, well, that's partly because you, uh, you consider yourself, you know, a, a, a big fan of the original.
3: Yeah, um, I'm actually really pleased that I've managed to sneak my way on here. You yeah. know, sort of sympathies yeah. and condolences to Brian. You know, this is not the way that I would have preferred to do it, if possible. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, so my original experience with Link's Awakening was a really, really formative one. It was kind of one of the early Game Boy games that I had on... Actually, it was on the um, the Game Boy Color version. It was very soon after that came out. And I think I had like a combination of that on the Game Boy Color and um, Ocarina of Time, kind of playing them through simultaneously was like my kind of weird combined first proper Zelda experience. So I've got a ridiculous amount of love for the original and it was that thing where it hit me when I was like 13, I think. So kind of in a good headspace for, for these games as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, this, this came out with the trailer, the reveal, whatever it was. I didn't have a Switch at the time, so I remember sort of being a bit disappointed that, um, you know, I wasn't immediately going to get to play this, but even though I didn't have a Switch, it didn't stop me from going and pre-ordering or ordering the, um, like, the collector's edition that comes with the really nice art book, and it's got a, a lovely steel case that looks like a Game Boy running the original Game Boy
0: cartridge I'm still, on, on the yeah. screen. still
2: mad I couldn't get one of those. Didn't
0: get that. Yeah, no. well, they
3: they might have been European exclusives they or were. something. Mm. That's They're why i nice. mad. <laughs> <laughs> you probably had a similar ridiculous exclusive, no?
2: I don't think so, unless I just missed it, which is possible. But uh, yeah, no, definitely not the Game Boy one, which is the one I wanted.
3: Yeah, it's it's pretty good. I've still got that little Game Boy steel case but in like pride position amongst my kind of wall of toys and other crap. Um, so yeah, I, I pre-ordered it and got it before I even owned a Switch. If I want to be really hyperbolic, I could make the argument that this is the game that... Um, it finally twisted my arm into uh, getting a Switch so that I could actually play it. Oh, right. I think I I got my Switch maybe a month or two after this came out. I mean, I also mm-hmm. partly got it because I was about to go on a 26 hour flight or something, and I figured I'd have something that wasn't quite as knackered as my old 3DS. But yeah, um, I think I played it pretty soon after I got it, but I had that really nice, like, languid experience of going through it over the course of a couple of months, and it had a lot of the same kind of. Sticking points for me that I remember with the original, even though I've probably played the original about no less than about seven or eight times over the previous mm, 20 years now. But it still got to that point where you get to the last dungeon or two. And Mm. especially, I think, with the the tower dungeon, we have to knock the pillars down yep i got stuck on that again
0: oh cool okay as i, as I have numerous other times that's good to know yeah <laughs> even knowing the game pretty well it's yeah. like there were still a few and little pro- weird sticking points proper puzzling that is yeah, yeah. we'll come on to that
3: mm. i like that that got me at 33 as well as when i was 13 yeah. and my the solution is still the
0: same on. effectively yeah, pretty much it looks slightly different but...
3: um yeah, I had like that sort of slow enjoyment of doing, going through it. And I, looking at the save files today, it looks like I finished it at the um, the beginning of February last year. So it must, it must okay. have taken me a couple of slow months for it. And yeah, haven't haven't touched it since until sort of about six hours ago when you mentioned the slot opening. And I've rushed through the beginning of the game, had a little bit of nostalgia, sort of seeing all the villages again. And I played the final dungeon from my old save to see the ending again, because I like the ending of this game.
0: Nice. For those who listened to our previous Link's Awakening show, well, you probably don't remember. It was possibly five years ago, but I only ended up actually finally completing Link's Awakening for that podcast, having played it in the mid-90s at first, but never finishing it came back to it for the show, finished it, and unsurprisingly haven't been back to it since because we played all the other Zelda games in a row after that and all the other games for the show. I bought this when it was uh, a few months old at some point. Yeah, it was pre-pandemic because I went into a game shop early last year uh, when I had some cash and actually spent some, probably some no i probably used a card maybe imagine though i spent some actual filthy paper money in a shop gross uh, called game in the uk really filthy disgusting transactions uh sneezing with everywhere yeah. with yeah <clears throat> kissed, kissed all the staff <laughs> <laughs>
2: did you just lick the, the pin pad when you <laughs> yeah. use your card Ugh.
0: All the, all the all the pre all the old world stuff that that is is now gone I did that I spent about uh 45 pounds on the game um, I think maybe maybe it was a pre-owned copy and had a fiber off or maybe they were just doing it at five pounds less than the digital price oh. so yeah but it was full price I spent money on this uh, and of course didn't get around to playing it until scheduling it for this very podcast but it's not one where waiting to buy it any longer would have made any difference. I think it has been as low as £33 on the eShop. They occasionally do a third-off sale for games like this. First-party yeah, first, uh, but first party
2: Nintendo titles just don't drop, really.
0: Yeah, particularly the, this gen. Uh, even I'd say even more so than previous. Mm. Um, yes, so there it is. I played it over maybe a week, 10 days, and finished it a few days ago. Nothing more to report than that. So, yeah, we've got some opinions from the forum, as always, com slash forum. And this first one is uh, not the most positive, but I think it gives us uh, some good places to start off from. It's from Deadbeat Punk, who says the original Link's Awakening is my favourite Zelda entry. It took me months to finish it as I was without a guide and very young. I loved Koholint Island, never knowing what you were going to find after opening up a new area. Sights and sounds are burned into the meaty hard drive acting as my brain. I think I could probably navigate the island blindfolded by now. The ending made me cry a lot, elevating games up to a form of media that could conjure strong emotions and not just an empty button mashing pastime. I was ecstatic after it was revealed as the one last thing at E3, or I suppose it was E3 related direct, I pre-ordered the special edition and Amiibo as soon as they became available. I just want to convey how excited I was to revisit this game on Switch. Just hearing the vocalised version of Ballad of the windfish, kick in started my nostalgia gland into overdrive. I love the soundtrack. It stood out as the strongest point of the remake. The visual style is very charming, even if I noticed the slowdown between screens right up until the end. There just wasn't enough game to justify the price of entry. I wanted to love this remake, but it didn't measure up to the original. It must have been a real shock to the system for people who had come from Breath of the Wild as their first foray into the franchise. I enjoyed my return to this adventure, but found it hard to disagree with some of the sincere gripes some people had with the title. I would still recommend the Game Boy Colour version to anyone who wants to revisit this classic, still on the 3DS eShop for those inclined. Sometimes however, it's just better to let sleeping windfish lie. So, the scenario, as we know, is taken over wholesale, lock, stock, and barrel from the Game Boy original. Link is shipwrecked, we see in a cutscene, although now the cutscene is rather than, uh, which was very impressive for the time. I'm sure we talked about it on the original show, just a, a few little pixel vignettes on the Game Boy. I remember my friend at the time showing me excitedly how atmospheric and sort of dramatic this opening was. Now we have some actual 2D cell animation which i think is rather nice uh, john i assume if you like the ending that's part of the reason why was this new animation that was done to wrap the game in
3: yeah yeah it looks absolutely beautiful it's very anime looking the um the kind of the shape of link's face and his eyes and his nose are it's straight out of a an anime mm. or like a visual novel or something so yeah I, I thought that it was it was really impressive first starting it and it's got lots of um lots of kind of little additions over the original. I think it starts off with kind of bubbles. It's like a camera's underwater and That's it right. slowly floats up to the surface. Whereas the original one, I always remember turning the Game Boy on and it was really jarring. It just immediately yeah. was like lightning crash, really mm-hmm. kind of um, almost like distorted um, uh, musical notes and things. So mm. it, yeah, uh, I think it's it's very, very lovely the, uh, the way that they've redrawn this. Uh, although the windfish kind of looks a little bit more goofy than i think my my sort of memory of the original right. versions
0: those opening and ending hand drawn animated cutscenes were directed and storyboarded by Junichi Yamamoto uh, where Oswald Kato handled uh, handled the concept art backgrounds and color design other than that yes so we end up shipwrecked on an island and it becomes apparent fairly soon because of the story of the original game that essentially it was going to be a, a port of the super nintendo zelda but ended up spinning off into its own thing it became a not non-canon but um but actually a uh a, a fantasy guide end a, a game set in a dream world rather than hyrule for the first time uh obviously when this w- when this first came out it was only the fourth zelda so the rules hadn't quite been written but in between times there have been a dozen more or whatever it is. And so going back to the idea of this fantasy world is, is something a bit different, which like leads us on to those uh, art and graphics. Graphic director Yoshiki Haruhana said that the game's visual style was meant to evoke the simple pixel animation of the original. The animation team also wanted to give the game the feeling of a diorama. According to Haruhana, the biggest challenge was finding a visual balance between these two ideas. That's again from the IMDb. Do you feel, folks, that this was a success in actually marrying the original Game Boy graphics, which were perhaps by necessity cutesy and also following on again from the Super Nintendo game A Link to the Past, where he had pink hair, didn't have pink hair in this one. Um, Yeah. Do you feel like that? That aim was met. And, and yeah, do you like the art style, Darren?
1: Uh, I really want to like it more than I, I do. Like In my head, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm really down for this kind of toy-like, you know, um, diorama, shoebox kind of thing, as John said, uh, you know, life. And you, I put it on, and there's just something... I've been really thinking about this over the last week, and I still don't know where I lie with it. I even, like, put Link Between Worlds on to compare and contrast. And, like, why don't I gravitate towards this art style compared to, you know, even Triforce Heroes and the other Zelda games of this ilk. And I think it just... The game just feels kind of a bit sparse in between areas, and I don't know if that's because the camera's been tilted to a certain degree where it's not in the other Zelda games. So you can see more of the area, but they haven't really filled the areas with nice, nice you know, enough detailed art and graphics. I'm really struggling, and I have done, ever since I finished this game, to understand why... The game hasn't completely, you know, sunk into me as like, oh, like, the older game, yeah, I love it. It's so great. Like Breath of the Wild, brilliant. It sells the world sells itself because it's just so lavish with detail and life and vibrancy. And you know, there's there's a few bits where you're like, oh, that's a bit, you know, a, a bit wonky. Like there's a bit in Gora Mountain where I could clip through and see a thing behind. Them. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But in this one, there's just there's just a missing lack of polish, which is ironic because I think everything shines like it has been polished to its nth degree. I think there's a, is a, is a lack of Nintendo charm and polish to the world that I can't quite put my thumb on and go, that's why I don't 100% mm. enjoy this art style as much as I thought I would upon first seeing it. Yeah. And I think it's just sparse or barren or un, not unfinished, but it doesn't have the, the finesse of what I expect from a Zelda game. And I'm saying it now, and I still don't know how I feel about it because I think it looks nice. But when you see it in motion, it doesn't doesn't feel like a proper Zelda game. And I hate to say that because I sound like a, oh, should not my Zelda game because it looks brilliant. Who doesn't want to play with that link, with that chain chomp and that cuckoo? You know what I mean? Mm. But when it all starts moving and it all just feels a little yeah, bit yeah i'm of... trying
0: to keep the the technical conversation separate but of course that you can't necessarily really because the motion of a video game i'm trying to think right let's talk about the art style as a static image let's talk about the the way it looks as a you know in terms of yeah the literal the de- design the colors the way things are drawn and animated but yeah of course the technical conversation which we are going to have because this game does have uh, well-documented technical issues, yeah. it does come into it. I think it, it leaves you with a uh, maybe a, a different impression to the one you would expect from other Nintendo titles.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not even too sure. Like The frame rate stuff, I am putting to one side. But like just okay. just, just as like when you see the characters in motion on screen, there's mm. just a certain lack of Zelda-ness mm. to it all. And I, I can't put it any better than that, but it doesn't feel like... And again, it might be okay. because the camera has been tilted to a more like 45 degree angle as opposed to a 70. Like Link to the Past, you're looking pretty much straight down on it. And Link Between Worlds is the same. And this one's more tilted so you can see more of the mm-hmm. the area around and beyond Link. And it just feels a bit right. odd to me.
0: And and it's got this uh, super strong depth of field effect yeah. where everything in the foreground is is very out of focus and, and the background. Um which I, I think is it's really effective mm. at making it look like a diorama, but it is also quite it, it's quite sort of overwhelming. Mm. Um, I know John Linneman, our friend Digital Foundries, John Linneman is a big fan of the way the game looks, but he said that he would have appreciated the option to actually reduce or remove that depth of field to see how it looked without it. It
1: does remind me of like when you turn the photo mode on a game and you turn it on and there's a mm. slider. You can visually see yes. it moving back and forwards. In this game, it doesn't seem as seamless as what it may be they are intending. You can clearly see where it cuts off and it blurs. It doesn't bother me. You know, it's a bit harder to see the game on handheld mode because of the nature of the um, the screen. Well, on TV, it's not too bad. But there's just mm. there's just something about being in this village at the start of the game versus, a, you know, Kakarika Village in Link to the Past or or Link Between Worlds or another Zelda game of this style. I don't really feel like I'm in a town. I feel like I'm in a wide open space with barely anything going on in it. And I think the Game Boy version, you know, to compare and contrast, does a better job of making it feel tighter and a bit more compact because it's on a smaller screen maybe.
0: Yeah. Um, so this is now widescreen. The original was obviously on a on a little square playing area, pretty much. I think it was th- we talk, we did a Game Boy podcast. I can't remember the exact pixel resolution of the original Game Boy screen, but it's pretty much square, as I recall. Hmm. Um, and of course, yeah. So as well as that, um, a, as well as they, they changed it from flick screen scrolling to surrounding the, you know, scrolling around the player kind of thing. So you can always see more of the screen than you ever could on the Game Boy which makes it feel less claustrophobic, I mm. think, but also at the same time, exactly as you say, Darren, maybe a bit barren in places because the original was designed around everywhere being individual self-contained squares. Mm. Yeah, yeah so you ha-
3: you might have like a house that was right in the corner of a screen always, yeah. so it, it was like a defining landmark, but mm. then now that you're moving about, you kind mm. of you can get that house further into the centre, so you yeah. see all of the empty ground that's around the outside of it, yeah. which looks odd. Yeah.
1: I think I'm slowly working it out and uh yeah, thank you for your time. <laughs> no. It's um <laughs> it's you know, it's almost like if you put the old school two D Dizzy games into like an open world structure, you'd be like, Well, wow, there's a lot of space between here and there, do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> it's very because, like we said, the nature of the old school screen movement, yeah. It's um I'm still confused whether I like it or not because I look at it and I think oh, I would love to play a little toy set with this with my child. Do you know what I mean? It'd be great. And then I, I you know, I put the game on and I'm just a bit like, it's a bit. I, uh, 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 I, I don't know. I just feel like i have I'm rambling and I'm repeating myself. But yeah, it's not the kind of. The be all and end all of like um a revolution of Zelda graphics as much as I want it to, I want it to be. Like I want this to be a it's, new strand yeah. of a Zelda series because yeah. I'd love to play like another one in this mm. style, but the first time they've done it, it's not really sold me on it as much as say Wind Waker or Breath of the Wild did.
0: Well, at least you got a mention for Dizzy in there. Maybe that could be a new Kane yes. and rinse drinking game. Very <laughs> rare mention for Dizzy. I suppose what I wanted to say, uh John, is d- would you and Leah, would you consider this um like to me, it feels like obviously we had that Wind Waker redesign, which was controversial at the time, but generally fondly regarded now. From that, more games that, that came after it, such as the two DS games, Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, sort of took that kind of link and moved it into a, a more traditional, top down, 2D ish Zelda. So this feels to me like uh in some ways like the natural progression for a more high definition handheld or hybrid system.
2: I'm I'm sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs>
0: do, do do you like the graphics, Leah? <laughs>
2: I do. Yeah. I, I, I think y'all are crazy, but um so my my general opinion on the graphics is that I I do think that they look nice just you know artistically i think that they look nice and i Mm. i think that for this particular game they fit to me um and what i mean by that is yeah they do look kind of shiny they look a little bit unrealistic but Mm. uh, spoilers the whole thing is a dream anyway so um i think Mm. that it makes sense that there is a slightly off cast to things i don't think that it should look exactly like every other zelda game um i i didn't really have a problem with it feeling empty i I thought that things were pretty well placed personally um there there are it it would have been nice if maybe some of the uh some of the uh, fast travel points were a, a little bit more accessible uh, for the most mm, part. That was okay. Yeah. But uh, there were, there were a few places that I found it was kind of frustrating to have to go back through that mm. first forest a million times, but uh, yeah. 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 But I, I, overall I really liked the art style and, um, and it, it didn't bother me that it was not um very te- technically pretty. Like it, it wasn't super detailed. It wasn't, you know, I, 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 do not have very many amiibo, but I got that one just because I thought he was so cute. Like, I think this whole yeah. thing is cute. I like that it's kind of a yeah. shoebox thing that, you know, you might ha- see, Uh, you know, it, it's, it's the same way that I think I would feel if it were kind of like a claymation thing or like just mm. something mm-hmm. that was not quite what the rest of Zelda is looking like right now. And I don't know that it's going to necessarily be something that they continue forward with. I think that Breath mm-hmm. of the Wild got so much more hype and so much more praise that they're probably just going to stick with that for as long as it's still making the money. But uh, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I and and I, and I don't necessarily, like I said, I don't necessarily think that they should be carrying forward with, with this because I, I think that having a little bit of of um, uh, art that stands out in in that way for for being different is better mm-hmm. than, in my opinion, is better. Uh, as an artistic expression for something yeah. that is that occupies that space in kind of the Zelda, not timeline, that's a very specific thing, but the, the Zelda yeah, uh, yeah. oeuvre.
0: And I, I I like the idea that multiple Zeldas, because there will always doubtless be multiple tranches of strands of Zelda, whether it's spin-off games or games that are set in alternate universes or remakes compared to the new entries, I think, it's, I think it's good that it's not all bound to one single look. I think it's mm. okay to experiment. And even if sometimes that falls short for some people, uh, then that's okay, because at least they were trying something slightly different and interesting rather than the safe, well-trodden path of every Zelda game looking kind of exactly the same, albeit yeah. from a different perspective. Uh, But let's hear from Toon Scottoon at this point, who says, I think the most interesting thing about this remake is the art style, which I could not properly describe until I read Matt Alt's excellent book, Pure Imagination, about the export of Japanese pop culture to the West. In a chapter about Sanrio's Hello Kitty character, Alt explains the kawaii aesthetic. As I understand it, kawaii is a performative sort of cuteness that is so demonstrably soft and adorable that it makes it easy to use as a tool for subversion when put in the right hands and Nintendo and Grezzo show their sure-handedness in this remake. In in a world where Bluepoint's reimagining games like Shadow of the Colossus and Demon's Souls as photorealistically as possible, and with a piece of hardware that can certainly do more realistic human forms than the Game Boy could, this aesthetic choice services the story about building a dream world to avoid trauma and then pumping yourself up enough to wake and, as it were, face the music. Of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't highlight the development team's failure to bevel out some of the game's friction points, like the unnecessary power-up descriptions, and although I happen to like most of the puzzles, the final maze, the pillar-toppling dungeon, and the trading sequence always feel a little obtuse. Still, despite these flaws, I'm happy to have any top-down entry in my favourite franchise looking cute on my favourite system, reminding me what once was, and what could be, on the way in years to come. Blue Weasel Breath chimes in on the look of the game with, I love the updated look and feel on this one. To give you an idea of how much more accessible the update makes this game to modern audiences, one of the kids I work with, an eight-year-old, told me he had this game on the Switch. So I showed him a screenshot of the old Game Boy Color version, which I still think looks very nice. His reaction was incredulous laughter. Oh my God, those are such bad graphics. Oh God, it looks so bad. I hope they give the Oracle games this same treatment. Yeah, I mean, I had a similar experience at Christmas when uh, we uh, we bought my 10, 11 year old niece Super Mario 3D All-Stars for Christmas and her reaction to Super Mario 64 was almost word for word that exact same. So the game that we once thought was the most incredible looking video game ever made is now absolutely rubbish to the eyes of a child, which is hard to take but there you go that's uh time, and right. time this, waiting for th- no this present.
3: kid's son will eventually get his own back when you know in 2040 he's telling him that something like this game looks like absolute garbage so mm-hmm. it goes round and round
0: so yeah that other aspect that yeah we can't uh, uh we couldn't avoid talking about in relation to the aesthetic because it does ultimately affect the way the game looks but it's more relevant to the way the game runs feels and plays the technical performance issues it has a frame rate problem i've watched a video which sort of breaks this down and i still don't fully understand it but essentially the game is attempting to hit a 60 frames per second frame rate which uh, which is what nintendo typically wants from uh, a lot of its games certainly things like mario kart dx although obviously games like breath of the wild can't possibly manage that on systems like the wii u and the switch but 60 fps for a top-down zelda game normally you would think would be a sensible sort of situation especially a game that's being ported up from a very very old handheld game uh, you know 8-bit system however the game also has uh, what a lot of games use these days to maintain that frame rate, which is a, a uh, an automatically adjusting pixel count. There seems to be an issue where there's been an actual kind of code failure or mistake where this keeps uh, fighting against itself. So the sixty frames a second fights with the resolution the resolution goes very, very high, as high as it can possibly be when a screen starts. So, you know, pretty much 1080p on a, on a, when it's docked and 720p on the, on the handheld. And then as soon as any information is added or uh, loaded or anything happens. And again, I know this is technically wrong, but this is the layman's, my understanding of it. The, uh, the frame rate compensates for the high resolution by dropping to 30 frames a second rather than what you'd ideally hope which was that the pixel count would drop to keep the frame rate up to the 60 it's something along those lines but basically the frame rate kind of peaks and troughs 60 30 60 30 particularly when Uh, when you're transitioning around on the open world, going from one area to another, and most notably in the Bottle Grotto Swamp, where there's quite a lot of extra uh, sort of particle effects, volumetric fog and splashes of water and whatever else, where the game actually drops to sub 30 frames a second in that area. Now, I don't think if, for me, we've played plenty of games on things like the 3DS, a lower Zelda games at 30 frames a second and thereabouts... Uh, and obviously we used to play games like Ocarina of Time at sub 20 frames a second and we thought it was fine because it was different times. Mm. I think the issue here as much as anything is the constant fluctuation Mm -hmm. between 60 and 30 frames. Once you're in a dungeon, things are a lot smoother. Um, But I think from my point of view it's definitely not ideal it's not ruinous but it does give the overall feeling that The game is not running right, not running well, not running smoothly, and that makes it feel uh, sub-premium as a Nintendo first-party £50 game. Mm. Darren?
1: Yeah, that's exactly my feelings on it. It's kind of when the, the, the Nintendo franchises that you love and grow up with, when they start kind of performing to a subpar degree, and I'll reference the Yoshi's Wooly World thing again with the kind of the the weird textures that kind of stuck out to me, oh yeah, it, yeah, it was kinda of, you know, and like Mario Sunshine with its repeating textures and stuff like that that go around and around and around the, the first level, it just feels a little bit kind of like, come on, Nintendo, you're better than this, and it's like this kind of perception of Nintendo's first party franchises is why they're so you know high regard you know they're really well regarded like in, in people's mm brains because the level of polish goes beyond you know previously like i'd say like sony have stepped up and kind of like made a more nintendo like polish to their first party stuff with like god of war and last of us stuff and you know recently i do believe like sony's quality has reached for me personally a bar that i normally associate with nintendo and like valve and like blizzard back in the day and stuff like that yeah There's, there's a certain threshold of quality that i associate with mario and zelda and when it doesn't hit that you're just like oh come on man like this is what we expect and then i guess that's why like some some fan fans are entitled and start moaning a lot online i mm. don't you know i'm sure i mm. said this before on previous podcasts where nintendo don't really hit their kind of stride but this is mm. another moment where it's just like it doesn't ruin the game for me like it, it no. you know it, it's not a very when it's happening the action's not it's you know, most stressful. Like, it's just you walking between two bits of grass and it's like, oh, okay, the frame rate's dipped a bit. It doesn't matter.
0: No, but but it makes it feel sticky.
1: Yeah, it it just, to me. just kind of ever so slightly just, you know, it pulls you out of the experience. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm actually playing a game. Yeah. Yeah, And that's the problem, isn't it? It's like you're reminded that, like, Nintendo games, for me, always pull me out of the real world and pull me into their world. And as soon as you're not there anymore you're back in the real world and this is rubbish. So, you know mm. I mean? I want to be in a Zelda world. I want to be in a living, breathing Hyrule Koholint, you know, or wherever it where it is. I want to be there. Yeah. And as soon as you take me out via technical performances, yeah, that's when mm. it kind
0: of, I get sad. Bixer from the forum, however, says the frame rate drops are unforgivable for a first party Nintendo title. It's not actually a first party title as someone who doesn't typically care about frames per second. Nor would I be able to tell you what they are from one game to the next. The frame rate drops in Link's Awakening are so jarring and happen with such consistency that I'm still surprised that Nintendo haven't since released a patch to fix it. And it seemingly at this point never will. Yeah, there it is. Uh, I mean buyer beware I guess Uh, it is a curious one gadget 8-bit also from our forum says I never had a game boy when I was a kid so I missed out on Link's Awakening in fact until Breath of the Wild I hadn't even played a Zelda game so I was quite excited for Link's Awakening when it was announced I adore the art style the game looks amazing and the soundtrack remix is wonderful featuring my favorite rendition of the overworld theme ever made but I'm afraid that's where my praise ends I really struggled with Link's Awakening the poor gameplay performance on the Switch at launch was a huge barrier to overcome. It's hard to enjoy such a sumptuously gorgeous game when the frame rate chugs down to single digits at times. Uh, it doesn't. It's it's not it's not single digits. I think the swamp area is the worst, and I think that get, drops to maybe high teens at the very lowest, uh, and generally is at mid twenties. But relative to the rest of the game, I suppose you you might feel it. Yeah, it might feel worse than it actually is. You can improve frame rate uh, or this 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 issue very slightly by if you have a digital copy of the game, make sure it's installed to your internal memory rather than an SD card. Apparently that does smooth it over just a little bit. But if you're playing from as I was a game card or an SD card, uh, then, yeah, it's, it's not great. Onto the sound. No technical issues here, I don't think. Uh, so we've got the usual uh, yelps and shouts from Link. Um, swishing and blopping and jingles and chimes and yeah, all good. Everyone, folks, anything you didn't like about the audio here before we talk about the music?
2: No, I thought the audio was fine. Um, it, Yeah, it, nothing, nothing outstanding, but uh,
0: serviceable. Sounds like a Zelda game.
1: Exactly my thoughts. It sounds like a Zelda game in terms of it's, you know, there's the sword swishing and the cut of the grass Mm. and, you know, you can't chop the signs up. So I don't know what that sounds like, but, you know. No, that's a shame. It is a shame, actually, yeah.
0: Yeah, I thought the uh, actually the 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 combat sounds in this. I mean, it's it's a very although there is combat, it's it's incredibly sort of rudimentary. I know some people, when talking about the uh, these two games, as in Zelda's three and four, Link to the Past and Link's Awakening, we had some feedback and correspondence last time, sort of saying that playing it now with the with the sword play being what it is, which is effectively hold down the shield button and hit enemies from the side. <laughs> you know this kind of thing seems incredibly rudimentary now but i think here with the uh, some really nice sound effects with the swords and shields and stuff like that that actually elevates it just ever so slightly from what is now yeah it's fair to say it is very basic
3: uh, yeah and there are some bits where i think they've improved everything over the original um so there are little sound design things that come through that you never would have really had before so there's lots of um, moblins in the forest that I was playing around with earlier where mm. um if they've got a sword and a shield, your idea is to kind of bait them into hitting your shield and then they sort of stagger back yeah. and, you know, give you a parry opportunity on them. And I'm pretty sure, you know, in the original game the op- the strat was just to kind of push towards them and just strike as quickly as you could Swipe. and you would eventually score a hit on their hitbox. So the idea that you've now got the I mean, you've always had like the plunking noise of their weapons hitting your shield and vice versa, but now you've got the little almost sort of comedic noise when they they stagger backwards mm-hmm. and things, which felt like a really nice addition to me,
0: yeah, and we got the little obviously the 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 enemies make like pig noises and stuff which has been around for a while, which they couldn't do back on the old the old game boy. Well, let's talk more about the music, there's probably more to say here uh. Again, we've got uh, all the tunes pretty much from the original and possibly a few more remixed into uh, a style that is sort of folksy and a bit more organic sounding, orchestral in places. And uh, also the thing that I liked about this was that, which I don't think there was so much of in the, the Link Between Worlds remake or remake sequel to Link to the Past, was occasionally uh he mixes he folds in some actual eight-bit noises into the music as well, which I which I think is a nice touch to as, as a throwback to, to the mm. original game. But yeah, I think the uh the the village tune at the start is absolutely lovely and goes on for a surprisingly long time with different uh different instruments coming in to play the main melody. Uh and yeah there's some I think there's some really nice rearrangements of of, of themes, uh some familiar dungeon tunes and stuff like that uh yeah like like the soundtrack to this a lot yeah this is
3: absolutely i think my favorite thing about the entire uh, game both the uh the original and here mm. um this is something that really drew me to the first game and it was such a kind of a strong influence when you know you'd do things like in 1998 you couldn't really just go and google a piece of music so i'd make um my end game save file it would always be right before you uh, you play the entire ballad of the windfish with all of the instruments ah, and stuff so that yeah, I could I could reload that and hear that over and over. And I was really like pleasantly surprised to find when I loaded the game up earlier that past me from you know 15 months ago <laughs> or whatever had done the same thing and had copied a save file one one Brilliant. after getting into the egg and one just before it so I could go back and listen to that piece of music whenever I wanted to. Um, but yeah I because I'm so familiar with all of the themes from the original one of the mm. real joys that I got here was exploring the different areas and seeing how the the music had been tweaked and remixed. And yeah. I loved the, the Ocarina pieces in the original, but obviously it's very Game Boy sounding sort of beeps and boops music. Here, they all, the three pieces of music that it plays, they all sound so different from each other. And I was kind of you know enthralled to hear how the mumbo uh, the mumbo music would sound differently from Mm. the singing and from whatever the other one is um and uh just everything like that it was it was like every time i came to a new area because i wanted to see the differences but um yeah i was i was really really excited about all of the new music and one thing you mentioned previously the a uh, bit where they're mixing in the actual 8-bit music, it plays over the end credits. I think they do that, yeah. and they mix some of the final uh, end yes. credits theme in, and that really got me again today. I'd forgotten that they did that, and I really, really enjoyed that. And I also think that that, um, that finale music might be one of my favourite kind of – I'm not sure if it's a. it's like a version of the Zelda theme or a remix of the yeah. Zelda theme – the it traditional takes motifs ones. from it, yeah. But I think it's an original piece. Yeah. yeah, that that is absolutely one of my favorite bits of any Zelda music mm. ever, which is saying a lot mm. from a franchise that's yeah, you know, highly thought of for its music.
0: Very musical. Mm. Yeah, Leah, did you like music here?
2: Yeah, I I um I, I don't have a ton to add. Uh, I think John already did a pretty good job there, but uh, but I did like it and I thought it fit very well uh, as an update to uh, the the original soundtrack.
0: Maliu from the forum says, I think the soundtrack is gorgeous, lovely rich strings and woodwind tooting away. But that's about it for the positives. And here's where we'll segue into gameplay chat. Maliu continues, despite being an enormous fan of Zelda, I've never finished one of the 2D entries. I love the idea of a pocket sized Zelda, but in practice, I tend to drop off them quite quickly. On reflection, it's the grand adventure of the 3D games which provides my enduring memories of the series. In the top-down titles, the combat feels simplistic, and the puzzles veer between unsatisfying and obtuse, but most of all, I find that these games lack the sweeping sense of scale which captures my imagination. I really wish I could appreciate this concise puzzle box design because there's something economically beautiful about the concept, but it just doesn't excite me. Link's Awakening didn't change that opinion, unfortunately. Chunky plasticine diorama looks beautiful in screenshots, but the lurching frame rate and tilt-shift focus make me feel genuinely nauseated. It's slightly less of an issue in handheld, but on the big screen, I honestly can't play it. I managed a few hours, got halfway through the item trading section and then uninstalled it. Without the performance issues, I probably would have slogged away and enjoyed some elements of the game, but my only enduring regret is that I gave Nintendo 50 quid for it. So there's somebody who, yeah, actually f- found the whole the tilt shift, the the perspective, the the field of vision stuff combined with the gameplay uh, or technical mm. frame rate issues actually made the game almost unplayable. So that's <laughs> quite bad. Oh, it's quite. I never read
1: these feedbacks before I start a show because I feel no, like no, it, no. Would, it would change my opinion, so to speak, naturally or sure. you know, inadvertently. But I do feel kind of like yeah people are people think like me because I'm reading that, and I'm thinking oh, I'm so glad that i i you know put my neck on the line so to speak, and then other people have the same opinion <laughs> so i you know all these feedbacks are so yeah hugely appreciated I, I think you're looking, more yeah.
2: in the i i mean I, I, from what I have heard uh and this is completely um completely anecdotal, but um from what I have heard, it seems that people lean more toward like I think I'm maybe more of the odd one out here um uh,
1: when yeah. you say lean, do you mean link to the past lean or links remaking in lean? Because there's two different leans there. The angle the, oh d- No,
2: the the remake the remaking. Yes, with the uh, with the forty five <laughs> with the tilt shift. Oh, you know, the, horrible they, lean. They, they lean forward uh, to bring things into a different <laughs> to bring
1: things it's funny into that, um, a different perspective. Marlu said that he doesn't like two D uh, Zelda entries. I know people mm-hmm. who think that Zelda games should only be in two D and that the three D yeah, games down. are link- just garbage.
2: It's also funny that this is a. I mean, this is a two D Zelda game. Like it, you know. It. It's technically yeah, yeah. it's three D. I guess, but but uh, you know. Oh. But um. But yeah. Oh. Even even so, it is. It's two D. Just that it's that all style, of the yeah. puzzles
0: is. Yeah, I mean the puzzles are lock, stock, and back mm-hmm. or back barrel. Barrel, uh, over from the first mm-hmm. game, it's absolutely the gameplay is is still two D. I, I thought I of it you
2: that could... way <laughs> until uh, until that piece of correspondence.
0: Yeah, you you could make an argument that uh, the combat is now because of the the viewing point is. Sli- I mean, it's you know, we, the I remember having this conversation with somebody in a shop once who was sort of saying, "Well, actually, all games are two D because even if they're three D, you're still playing them on a two D screen." And I agree that actually, you know, if if you want to be reductive about it, you're actually, you're actually right. So the combat here, you could say, is two D or three D or two point five D or which isn't even a thing but actually yeah, the the every fundament of the gameplay is based around uh, a top down 8 bit game from mm. 1993 one thing uh, that uh, john Lenneman commented on his otherwise uh, very praiseful video of uh, of the game overall uh, was the fact that he he wasn't sure that the game should have retained its very rigid eight-way movement so despite the fact that you can't use the d-pad to control link at all uh the you have to use the analog stick but despite that the character has absolutely no analog mm. control whereas even on um the ds games the two ds games i mentioned earlier link was more analog in, in his existence in in his uh, interface with the environment and again here because this game does so slavishly still exist within the confines of if you want to think of it that way or the limitations of the eight bit original, Link is still a an eight way cardinal directions and and the ones in between only kind of character. There's no there's no turning there's no turning circle. There's no, you know, you can't curve Link around to, to run back where he came from mm. or anything like that. Is that something that you actually felt restricted by or or did it just naturally fit in with the fact that this was a remake of of the original
2: yeah i mean personally i it it felt like the game was designed for that um so yeah Mm. it didn't really bother me
1: Uh, it bothered me a bit (laughs) it feels really annoying to not use (laughs) <laughs> like, the ability to not use the D-pad is kind of frustrating, you know, because it's, it's an eight-way movement game, but I've got this D-pad down here that could not technically do it a better job. And so when you're pressing into the space of the analogue stick, you know, at the two o'clock and the, the five o'clock, and he's not been pointing that Ooh. way, uh, yeah, I was just a bit like, I wish I could kind of move in a more freeing direction. And I get it, it needs to hold true to the original, and there is always that kind of legacy. And I don't think it held the game back, it's just personally, especially after, like, playing, like, uh, today I compared a contrasted Link Between Worlds and this, and Link in Link Between Worlds, even that as a sequel to Link to the Past, which was an eight-way game, I guess, if memories. Yeah. Bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. He's, yeah. he's fully 360 manoeuvrable there, so I don't really see, you know, uh, it's not a remake as such, mm. but Link Between Worlds is a direct sequel to Link to the Past, and so if maybe yes. there's kind of a bit of kind of um, miscommunication there, you know, on what they want Link to do with these top-down games, and um every... Every now and then, it's one of those moments where it just pulled me out of the experience again, because I'm pressing upright to move upright, and he's kind of moving at an angle that I'm not expecting, and it's just a bit like, oof. If I could play on the D-pad, I'd have a bit of a, a more, you know, a better understanding of mm. how I'm controlling Link, if you know what I'm trying to say. And
0: I'm wondering if maybe, we were talking earlier about the, sort of how maybe, even though we like, even if we like a chibi toy looking Link, uh, that he's less expressive Facially than, say, Wind Waker Link, but he's also less physically expressive than any Link since the original of this game, in a way, because he has so little animation. He just, you know, he just transitions from one compass point direction to another mm-hmm. with no... There's no skidding. There's no no anything like that. Obviously, he but you know he does. He charges up his little feet. I like his little run.
1: Yeah, it's very um, Scooby Doo esque when he's like you know or Flintstones yeah. when he's in, in the car. <laughs> you know he does scurry away and you can maneuver his his run with the sword charge. You can kind of change the direction in a in a certain you can, taper. Yeah. It's kind of interesting after way. touch. Yeah, that's yeah. after
0: touch. Yeah, yeah. There,
3: there were bits of this that I felt just didn't. I don't know felt maybe a little bit too wishy-washy or something. It didn't feel as you know as kind of solid and you know definite like we're pressing this button we are moving in this direction as you get with a uh, with the sort of the Game Boy style and I think it's something that came up on the um the Pokémon podcast uh describing mm-hmm. the difference between how the original like generation 2 game felt playing it on a Game Boy where you're essentially like on a chessboard and pressing down will make you move down one square. But then they remade right, yeah. that game 10 years later on the DS and everything's mm-hmm. smooth. And it's 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 a little bit like the, um, the correspondence between this and the original Link's Awakening. Just you've got the same spaces, but the movement kind of works in a different way. And I wasn't entirely sure that it felt natural enough for me. And what you're talking about, you know, you push the analog stick sort of upright and he doesn't move towards like two o'clock. He kind of moves in a in a sort of a slightly different pattern. Um and there were some other parts like I thought the um using the Pegasus boots in the original when you you sort of press the button down, you get this real charge up. Link runs ahead with his sword in his hand if he's got it. It feels very kind of, you know, right, we're in this. Suddenly we're a freight train barreling forwards. And in the remake it's kind of Link doesn't feel like so much of a presence in the world or like such a, Mm -hmm. you know, such a solid part of it. He kind of feels more like, you know, as, as you would expect, you know, a small character in a large world to feel rather than the focal point of everything. I think that's the best way that I can think to describe it.
0: Interesting.
2: Uh, Something that I would like to bring up in game in gameplay and uh, you can tell me to, to stop if this is not where this fits, but, um, in the original link's awakening um there was kind of an issue for me in that everything had to be equipped in order for you to be able to use oh, yeah. it uh whereas here that is one thing that they did streamline uh a, a little bit in in the gameplay yes. is that Thank stuff goodness. yes oh god stuff like the sword no longer has to be equipped the um you just kind of always have it the um uh, the bracelet pegasus. and the pegasus boots yes
0: um yeah. oh no yeah. actually no pe- um uh, hang on no, the- which are which boots are which the 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 peg the jump the jumping boots still have to oh, be yeah the yeah the feather but, the feather is equipped yeah, the feather, the feather does. Yeah. that's right i think yes. the, the feather i
2: pretty the... much always had just in one slot yeah. yes, but yes same yeah yeah but uh but now that you don't have to have yeah the uh, the bracelet that lets you move rocks oh god um yes, that yes, doesn't yes. have to be equipped anymore uh and yeah the boots don't have to be equipped you can just use them um, and yes. I thought that that was a huge improvement because that, just those kind of utility and like mobility type things. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, what, why do I have to have my sword equipped? <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, yeah I found that to be agree. extremely helpful.
0: And the shield as well, of course. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that this is one of the things that, that I've heard. Uh, we'll, we'll probably hear some more about this from our correspondents, sort of people saying this game is is completely lacking quality of life improvements and that isn't true because those those bits although it doesn't have maybe as many maybe
2: as, as we've we've already yeah, mentioned a few right. maybe as many as there could have been or that we would have liked to have seen yeah. but it that that's a big one for me
0: it was a big one yeah yeah, Gadget8Bit from the forum says, More than anything, the game's early 90s design ruined it for me. Oh, Some of the down. puzzles seemed to, be <laughs> com- <laughs> seemed to be completely unexplained and designed to be as vague as possible. It got to the point where I had to look up a guide to see who wanted which item and in what order to do it. I realised this was done in the original to pad out the runtime in a short handheld game, but by sticking so rigidly to the format of the original design, it makes for an uneven experience for those who don't hold any nostalgia for it quality of life improvements are fine and I can't help, uh, are fine I think he's sort of saying that quality of life improvements are made and that's fine, I think that's the intention forgive me if I'm wrong, Gadget but I can't help but think it wouldn't have been too odious of a task for Nintendo to add a few helpful features to Link's Awakening for people who are new to the game so I suppose here this makes me think, you've still got the telephone Yeah. so old man Ulrira is that his name? Something like that uh, he is still there he's like a hint line in game and the fact that he was ever there suggests that they knew that a lot of the puzzle solutions and ways forward even in this game were quite oblique and it's very sweet the way that if you try to talk to him in person he's too shy hmm. I still like that um, what I thought they might have done with this given that we're coming off the back of I, I guess from 2006 to the end of the we generation at least Nintendo were sort of jumping through hoops to make games like more accessible and easier. And with this one, they've just gone pretty much like, yeah, no, here's the original game with some minor changes to the buttons as, as we were just talking about, but you still have to solve the game completely by yourself other than this in-game chat line, which is not always very helpful. So my assumption was that they would have done more with this. Uh, Maybe like you could phone them up. If you phone them up again, without having made progress he told you a bit more specifically what to do next or something like that because I'm not going to lie I went to YouTube a couple of times to remind myself of the way forward where where I had to go next uh, because the game after you complete a dungeon the game gives you a, a pretty general area of where you need to go next but Beyond that, it doesn't tell you how to get The owl there.
2: shows up and says something cryptic, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
3: and it's kind of telling because I've also recently, I think since I played this, uh, I've played the Grezzo um, Ocarina of Time remake, and they have yeah. got a huge amount of hints in that built into the um, the little Mask of Time statues. Mm. You can go and talk oh, yes. to those statues, and it will give you a list of, like, what things do you want hints on, like, getting to the temple, opening this, doing this, and it will give you full-on little cutscenes of Link doing what you're supposed to be doing. So, I mean, that's like the complete opposite of this in some ways. I mean, that game is, how old is that now? Nine years or something, ten years since that came out. Um, So I'm surprised that they haven't kept some of what they decided to put in there. I don't know if, you know, somebody somebody thought, oh, Link's Awakening is an easier game than Ocarina of Time. It's not quite as obtuse, (laughs) but... I'm I'm not mm. entirely sure that I agree with that. If that was the case, no, um, I'm just
2: not, I'm not no. sure personally because I I I have zero problems with like going to walkthroughs or guides or whatever. Um, I I will do that from the start if I if I feel like it. But um, I didn't yeah, I didn't yeah. really find this game to be that difficult that way. Um, now there are definitely some exceptions, such as um, the later dungeons were maddening at points but um, for for the most part I thought that, that it was pretty that it flowed pretty well and that, that stuff was signposted but uh, I say that having played the original game so I'm not mm-hmm. sure how much of what I knew or thought that I could figure out was really just me carrying over stuff from having played the original game mm-hmm. relatively recently all things considered I mean not super recently but you know
1: Mm. I I was constantly on the phone to that old man. It was just like, (laughs) right, come on then, tell me what I need to do. He's like, oh, go over there and dig near a grass. And you're like, that's not a clue. That's just how I (laughs) dig up. Do you know what I mean? Like, honestly, the amount of times I rang him up, I swear, he he, he stopped answering at some point. It's like, no, just go away, mate. Come on.
0: If you'd never played this game, you wouldn't even know Mm. to go to the shop and buy the shovel or buy the, the bow and arrow. It doesn't even tell you, does it?
1: No, you know, and I guess after a while, like, Zelda games are just kind of, that's part of the flow of a Zelda game. But, yeah, if you've never played a Zelda game before, then, yeah, you'd just be scratching your head. But, yeah, it's, um, I found the game to be very obtuse in its well design, and that's because I'm comparing it to other Zelda games. This one does conf- it does feel completely kind of unique in its structure, and, um, yeah, it, it, I, I didn't gel with well. it, unfortunately. I'd rather
2: have this than have Fi talking to you every 30 seconds. Well, there uh, is that, yeah. That's, that's
0: It'd be interesting to see what yes. they do with with Skyward Sword on the Switch, mm. how much of that they'll change uh, for better or or for worse.
3: I think there's a bit of a tightrope that you've got to walk when you're remaking a game that's uh, you know, twenty-five plus years old, where you could go overboard with things like the hint system and adding lots of things that make the game easier. And you know that there's a large proportion of the people who buy this on day one are going to be people who have played the original and maybe people like me who've played it dozens of times and can just walk through this you know practically in their sleep because they they know all the solutions to all the puzzles and some of those people will be upset if you add in too many hint systems and too many quality of life things that make it feel like the game is easy because they want the the challenge that they remember but then the flip side is you don't do anything to it or you do very little to it and you've suddenly got lots of people who are no longer have Lost the patience to do it and i think right. it's it's curious that they didn't add in more hints but they did in my mind they made the game quite considerably less difficult combat wise by adding in right. what feels like a hell of a lot of extra heart pieces and i think more yeah. um seashells to get better upgrades later on because i had You're right. so i played through to the beginning of the second dungeon earlier today and by the time I went into the first dungeon, I had either five or six quarter-heart pieces, which mm. I think at least three of them were brand new. I got the one in the well. I got two yeah. out of the fishing mini game. I bought one from the shop, and I got one from the, the little grabber game, and there might have been another. I think in the original, you might have had two out of those five. And then by the time yeah. you've gotten into the second dungeon... You've potentially got access to another couple, so you could be entering the second dungeon off the bat with like six hearts, which is
0: and fair and fairy bottles now yeah. as well, which weren't in the original. Oh yeah, yeah, there's a yeah, bottle there are, hidden are,
3: in that fishing mini game as well.
0: That's right. There are six full hearts more in this one than in the original. So, yeah, uh, I. I there's a there's a special ending, an extra bit of animation right at the end if you complete the game without dying. Annoyingly, I died three times in the game, but they were all in about the first hour and a half. I never died again because <laughs> the game is so easy not to die after that. You've got uh, medicine that you can buy from this woman or you even find it in dungeons sometimes that gives you double life effectively. Uh, you've got, I think, two or three fairy bottles you can find. I got two in the course of the game, which will heal you as well so yeah it's uh it's actually it becomes quite difficult to die compared to the yeah. original i found i
3: think um one of the things that they've added here from the original as well is um i don't know if you can do this right from the very beginning or if you have to beat the game first but there's also a hero mode difficulty which yes. is considerable it removes all drops of red hearts from enemies and things yes. and it makes everything so do double know. damage to you so you might have to mm. play through the game once to unlock that, like um, with mm. the master mode in the um, Ocarina remake by the same team. Yeah. Uh, but I, So I started the game up earlier um, with the hero mode. I did, didn't even remember that it was a thing, but I, I went mm. to start the game and I thought, oh, hero mode, that's interesting. That sounds difficult. Let's see what it's about. And yeah, I'd had zero deaths throughout the entirety of the, the main game. Uh, by the okay. time i got to the second dungeon with hero mode i think i would died like 12 times or something it's it's wow. considerably more difficult it's much more of a challenge if if you find it too easy
0: and of course by that point you know the solution to all the puzzles yes. if you can remember yeah. where to I mean, go. if that is true that so. you
3: have to beat the game before you can play the hero mode then yeah
0: yeah that doesn't really appeal to me i, I suppose because i don't play like when i think of playing links awakening i'm thinking about the dungeon puzzles as the thing that i like really like about it and so once i've solved those ne- solving them again isn't that exciting the the actual the combat is not why i come to a game like this personally
3: no it's kind of the experience and it's one of the other things that i would find um less intriguing about a replay of this game despite the fact that i've replayed it dozens of times is it well, yeah. is It is a game that gets, the storyline gets quite heavily spoiled as you get to about the halfway point, and it is a little bit like one of those sort of ending reveals that, oh, it's all really just, you know, everything's not real. And playing it again from the beginning with that knowledge definitely takes something away from the mystery of the game for sure.
0: You're given quite a lot of warning as well that what's going to happen at the end because all of the bosses pretty much tell you, don't kill all the bosses yes. and play the song of the windfish because we all die. And
3: then it's it's <laughs> extremely spelled out, I think, by about yeah. the fifth dungeon or something. You go to the the yeah. shrine that specifically tells you the lore of the world.
0: Mm. One thing I did really like, I don't know if anyone else appreciated this, was the much more uh, clear and high-definition map map uh which really helped getting around you can zoom right into it you can put marks on it i don't know if you can draw on it like on the ds with the old with the phantom Uh, i was going to say the phantom menace the phantom (laughs) hourglass i don't think Uh, so but they do have a fair number
2: of like the stamps or pins or whatever yeah icons yeah um which i didn't really use that much in the overworld but i did in dungeons um just to show me where like if I went into a staircase where that staircase came out. So I matched up the the icons for the right, yeah. especially Great when idea. you get to that, yeah. that friggin second to last dungeon, which uh, mm-hmm. just uh, that was the one <laughs> I did not enjoy.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, let's get into that. The puzzles and the dungeons. Uh, I guess we talked about these pretty much exactly because they're, they're, they're no different other than the graphical brush up to mm-hmm. how they were in I think maybe there's a few tiny tweaks here and there, but essentially they're because because of the nature of the originals, uh, they're even kind of um, almost letterboxed on the screen mm-hmm. at the side, aren't they? And a lot of the rooms here because because they were built around being a square, because the, the the puzzles are so grid based that the the number of squares on screen has to be exactly the same, otherwise the puzzle's broken. <laughs> Uh, Bixer from the forum says having never played it as a kid Link's Awakening to me felt like a game that would be best experienced with nostalgia goggles firmly in place as I just couldn't get it to click with me in the way that I'd, I've heard it did for so many others. While at first I did actually appreciate a trip back to the more traditional Zelda gameplay again after Breath of the Wilds has since possibly redefined what the series is I couldn't shake the feeling that this was a game very much stuck in 1993. Many of the game's puzzles and secrets are so obtuse that I'm not sure if many other people playing the game for the first time today could be expected to solve them without the help of a guide. In 1993, when many of us were likely kids with oodles of free time to explore every nook and cranny of a game, that was fine and almost part of the fun. But playing a game like that today at times felt more frustrating than anything. A game that I can appreciate for its place in history, but ultimately not for me. Uh, The Coloured Dungeon makes a return from the DX version. Still pretty short and straightforward. This time it gives you uh, either double damage or double uh, or half damage, double damage dealt or half damage to you, Um, which, yeah. So combined with the earlier mentioned elements, fairies in bottles and whatever else makes it even less likely for you to die, you have to solve a, A little graveyard puzzle to get in there. Kiss Mammal on the design of puzzles and dungeons says, I very much agree that a lot of the game's design feels very dated in a lot of ways, especially the obtuse and obscure puzzles. It was the one mainline Zelda game I'd never played until the Switch remaster, and I found that it didn't live up to its glowing reputation. The world map is extremely compact, out of necessity given the limitations of the original hardware it was designed for, and in many ways it's ingeniously constructed, but as a result also feels very cramped and claustrophobic. Simply getting from A to B felt like trying to work my way through a maze at times. I also really detested the Eagle Tower dungeon. Something about its layout made it completely impossible for me to commit to memory and after hours of fruitlessly banging my head against it, I had to resort to using a step-by-step guide. No doubt that it was an astonishing achievement back on the Game Boy, but I frequently found myself wishing that this remaster was a more substantial update that smoothed off some of its rougher edges. For me, it feels a bit like the Yoshi's Island of the Zelda series, a quirky offshoot that, while clever and well-crafted, is just a little too esoteric and frustrating for me to really embrace. The Eagle Tower. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I would say up to that point, we've played, uh, that's the seventh of eight dungeons. We've played six up to that point and they have their moments, I would say. Uh, But as well as being, uh, uh, we shouldn't make this all negative because I don't think that's fair at all. And I'm sure we were really quite positive for the most part on the original Link's Awakening show. But some of the puzzles in these dungeons, I think, are still, even though I've solved them before and so the mystery is, is slightly gone. Obviously, I'd forgotten most of them. the The puzzle design here, I think, is still fairly exceptional. In uh, for, at least for the first, yeah, six dungeons.
1: You know, after um, Breath of the Wild had kind of like none of this. To come back to it after Breath of the Wild on right. the Switch to have dungeons again felt this is why I want to play Zelda games. Like, not to say that Breath of the Wild is is no good because because of it, but I play Zelda games because I like the puzzles and you know just the labyrinth nature of them and like just the pure satisfaction you get from solving them and sure one or two of them gave me a lot of trouble like the um the Eagle Tower you know as I said like, it seems to be a, a, very, a, a very common difficulty spike for a lot of people it didn't stop me from enjoying them and I think there's a lot of fun to be had and just the, the whole nature of <sighs> I, I love conquering areas in games and once you've conquered a dungeon in Zelda there's nothing else quite like it
3: It's a very kind of simple ideal that obviously this is the third or the fourth Zelda game that came out and it was following the same structure. But the idea of going into a dungeon, finding the item that allows you to get through the end of the dungeon and then progress through the overworld to the next dungeon is something that has never not felt satisfying to me. Um, And I think that they do it really, really well with, um, with Link's Awakening possibly only uh only kind of second to how it's done in link to the past uh but that said yeah i think the eagle tower dungeon specifically stands out to a lot of people because mm, the the difficulty spike here is that while it's also you know a regular kind of uh sort of square 2d kind of puzzle you've also got this aspect of it where you've got to uh change the heights of the floors at one point and you've got to descend and ascend through how many floors is it four floors five floors or something up and down Mm, yeah so it adds the extra dimension into it which is not something that has been really present in this at all up until this point you've got points where there's lots of dungeons that you do go down through um you know through sort of a hole in the floor and you get uh through a tunnel into another section but it's always quite obviously marked out what is what there but this is very much dependent on you enter one floor you traverse a little bit of puzzling or combat, you go up another set of um, uh, stairs, you're on the floor above, and you've got to work out how to either get back round to another set of stairs or like a pit or something that you can fall into to get back to a previously uh, unreachable area of the last floor. And I think that there's something in your brain that that extra layer makes it feel much more difficult than maybe it Mm. wouldn't be that difficult if it was all laid out side by side by side. And you had the tunnels yeah. systems and you were just going to different areas of the dungeon. But, yeah, yeah trying to remember the different floors is a, is a whole new aspect of it.
0: It is, yeah. And I'm glad to hear, you know, it's very easy to get bogged down or stuck on a, on a sequence like this and feel, you know, intellectually inferior or cerebrally challenged in, this, in some way. But actually, it seems that this is just a notoriously tough dungeon. Like, on, for most people, this is a puzzle. Like a proper a, 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 a mental workout, and in fact, I I, th- I can't remember what I said on the show five years ago. Funnily enough, um, but I this time I did manage to get three of the columns down before looking up how to get the fourth. And the fourth one does involve a very tricksy little uh, transition of the big black cannonball of doom. You have to throw it across a gap that you wouldn't necessarily even notice uh to 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 get the fourth column I, I think there's a
3: point here where I've always had the same problem with this and the fourth column I think there might be an easier way to do it than I've always done it but the way that I've always mm. gone is there's a gap in the floor that's about 5 spaces wide and if you run up at the exact right angle and throw the ball at the last possible minute, you can get it across mm. the gap before link falls in. But if you fail it, you're <sighs> all the way, but you're fallen down onto the previous floor. So you've got to work your way back up and get the ball again. And I've always suspected that there's a very straightforward, more obvious way to do it. But this is how I originally did it and how I've kind of <laughs> always gone on with it because I've never bothered to find the actual solution. Whether that's the one you're talking about or not, you probably just throw it over a little wall or something instead.
0: I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to even actually. Uh, uh, no doubt, Mark Brown, uh, game makers toolkit. Uh, he did a whole series on the Zelda dungeons of every game in the mainline series, I think, um, and quite yeah, superb analysis. Probably worth checking out the video of that one to understand why this uh, this tower is. Uh, some somewhat notorious, Leah. I'm curious. You were saying like you you know you have no qualms, and and I totally agree with you. Like no one should have any qualms about playing however they want about you know checking a solution. But presumably, for you know some of the dungeons, up to the point that it gets like such you know pa- painful mental gymnastics, uh, you still would rather take some you know satisfaction from solving quite a few of these individual rooms and. And setups for yourself before just immediately, you know, diving for a walkthrough.
2: Uh, it well, it depends. Uh, in this in this situation, I actually didn't do the walkthrough. Um, because mm-hmm. I decided I was going to be stubborn. I guess. Um, I mm-hmm. did spend a fair amount of time in in the Eagles Tower dungeon. Um, but uh, I, by some magic, I I actually managed to make it through without uh needing to do that.
0: Got there in the end. Yeah. Nice.
2: Um. It like I said, it took a while, but uh, I did get there. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there's. It's again. I think that that may have been at least in part due to the fact that I had played it before. Um. I don't recall whether I used a guide on the. I'm sure that I did when I played the Game Boy version. Um. But I'm not sure if I did. Uh. The first time through the Switch mm. version or not. Uh. I just don't remember. Um but yeah it's I, I for the most part i thought that the difficulty balance was pretty good uh it it mm. it for me struck that kind of uh middle ground between being too easy and being too obtuse uh but there were those couple of exceptions as i've, I've kind of said
0: yeah yeah i suppose I, I haven't broken it down but i think if you did an, an analysis of playing time the majority of your play time in this era of 2d top down Zelda and yeah other games in the series are uh, would be puzzling your way through the dungeons um and if that if that isn't an aspect that you enjoy like if if you're somebody who comes to Zelda games and maybe their first one was Ocarina of time and Breath of the wild is the, now their favorite where it's all about being you know in out in the open world and kind of playing around with the the environment and and the systems being kind of, you know, restricted to these room by room grid based puzzles is perhaps not what everyone goes to a Zelda game for. But there's plenty who do because we've had quite a few correspondents who were also uh, wishing that this was this same uh, type of remake was afforded to the Oracle's games, the two Capcom uh, Game Boy games from uh, yeah Oracle of Ages and Seasons that we also covered before bosses wise uh i think uh this game was always uh, probably i always considered it as having some of the easiest zelda oh. bosses they 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 seem to be pretty quick to take down in most cases uh the only one that is i thought was a struggle really was just working out how to the different how to hurt the different forms of the final boss but a lot of them actually once you know their trick can be done in moments
3: uh, especially by the time you've gone through the color dungeon to get your permanent kind of piece of power upgrade, yeah. which I think you can do any time really after about the third dungeon. Is that you get yes. the Pegasus boots to knock the book off the thing? That's and right. then that gives you the sequence yeah. for the grave. So, yeah, you can do that yeah. dungeon pretty early. And then I think lots of the bosses are like four hits, five hits with your, your regular sword, probably less yeah. with the the upgrade of one if you've got it. Um, one of the things yeah. that's always stood out to me a lot with this was I think there's at least two of the bosses that you go into with the side on view rather than the the top down view.
1: Mm. Oh it. yeah, the mm. fish. The fish yeah.
3: and the, the eagle did it in the original as well. Yeah. I can't remember if it's and like the eagle. it here. Yes, it does, yeah. But you yeah, get yeah. that cool little side on view that you get in the um yeah. like the tunnel section. Yeah. And I thought yeah. that was cool. But then that fish boss is ridiculously easy because of it.
0: Yeah, it is, yeah fine by me uh you don't even have to worry about running out of air uh, compared to some of the other water bosses we've faced in various Zelda games over the years uh less dramatic perhaps but <laughs> certainly less of a of a sticking point uh, and I think um while again maybe it's not as lavish and kind of Disney quality as some of the astonishing animation we've seen in Zelda bosses from pretty much from Wind Waker onwards uh, I think the animation on these uh, is uh generally really nicely done there and and they're, they're quirky and funny as well fitting in with the with the the dream or nightmare scenario like the one that's just a face on the floor yeah. and stuff like yeah. that
1: yeah i'm always grateful with bosses that don't absolutely want to you know tear my hair out so yeah I'm, i was always kind of i never felt underwhelmed that i'd breezed through these bosses It was just like oh cool yeah i did that and uh you know they, yeah. they were never too taxing you know you always knew kind of what to do and yeah, they're over in a short space of time, so I do welcome that quite often. Yeah, and mm. quite inventive. They do fit within the, the toy-like, playful aesthetic, like, you know, the the clown, or is it a genie kind of thing that pops up?
0: Yes. You know? Yeah. yeah. Slightly less freaky than the original, perhaps, <laughs> but, uh, but still freaky. I think you the know, same just...
3: with the fish as well. The fish scared me a little bit less than the original design of it did. <laughs>
0: And,
1: you know, the fight with the eagle on, the, um, on that kind of rook, is it? Like a castle rook kind of thing at the very top of a tower, maybe? It, it, that, that,
0: that looks mm. brilliant.
1: No, that always will look brilliant.
0: Uh, the, yes, there are more seashells in this version, as there are more hearts as well. But after 20 seashells collected, if you go back to the hut, you get the seashell sensor, which uh, buzzes, uh, vibrates or uh, gives you a visual clue as to where a nearby seashell might be. And if you do then go on to collect all of the seashells in the world, something that I certainly didn't do, you get a more powerful sword still. So, yeah, you, if you take the the permanent piece of power from the colour dungeon and the level two sword, this game, in terms of the challenge of fighting anything, is pretty much gone at that point, I would suggest. The famous trading sequence, which in this uh, th- there's there's pretty much always one in a Zelda game, isn't there? But this is it. Was this? I think it was was this the first one? I have a feeling there wasn't one in Link to the Past. I don't me think there wrong. was. I, f- I I in my head, this is the first one because I remember. I think most people do who who have any history with this game. Going to the the trendy game, which is a UFO catcher, getting the Yoshi doll. And it starts off pretty straightforward because people are directly asking you, you you're, you know, you're going up and talking to people because it's an RPG, pressing the A button at least. And they say, oh, I could really do with this thing. I wish I, I wish I could get hold of one of these. And that's fine. And you go from one person to the other. You trade this with that person and so on. And then it starts getting a bit wacky. And then it's uh, it's taking dog food to a crocodile. And then taking bananas to a monkey that only appears, and I mean, obviously, bananas to monkey makes sense. So on, it gets pretty wacky. And and there's often, again, I as as some of our correspondents have alluded to, there's no real clue as to sometimes as to what to do next as the sequence goes on. I
3: think whether or not this is the first one of these, which we probably think it is, uh, is this. The one of the few of them across all the games that's actually mandatory to do it all because I can't I, I can't remember so. like the mask yes. sequence and stuff in Ocarina you can mm. I think you need the first one but then you can pretty much give it up but this you've yep. got to get yep. all the way through at various points there's tra- mm. trading the item is what progresses the game all the way up until so you get the magnifying glass at the very end to read the and then
0: the boomerang yeah
3: yeah um, but yeah it, it does feel quite. Um, obtuse but compared to the original there are more i think hints especially early on like if you talk to the um the woman in the house who's got the baby who wants the yoshi doll she straight up tells you she wants a yoshi doll she says there's one at the trendy game but i could never get it before uh, and then when you get it right. you come out of the house and the kids the, the kid that's right there says to you "Oh, i see you've you've got the yoshi doll my mum wants one of those she's in the house at the top of the village okay so that's extra it? Yes, i don't remember any Boy, of that right. in the original
0: right okay so they have made a few concessions without yeah without giving you a win button they've just they're they're still co- they're coaxing you more along along the right path but i still found there were places where even though i've played this game before and i've done all this before i was like i have no idea where to take this next
3: uh, yeah yeah it looks it gets it gets pretty obtuse and some of them are quite well hidden i didn't didn't get to it um yeah. recently but there's uh is it there's a fishing hook or something you've got to be swimming in the river and go under a bridge and it's not it's not obvious that there's anything down there
0: oh i love that i found that myself i was so happy uh it reminded me of the first time i went under the bridge in the previous game back in the mid 90s in in Link to the past and yeah just that yeah that was a, a kind of the start of a of a of an era of just really finding some proper yeah what what felt like true magic in in video games for me and and nintendo stuff and miyamoto stuff in particular just had this way of squirreling secrets away that that sort of no no other developer had quite managed to do in such an evocative and intriguing way to me before um and obviously i guess i'm a bit inured to it now because i've played all these games i've played every zelda game i've been playing zelda games as we all have for decades now and perhaps yeah a little bit of the uh, the early magic is gone compared to when when whether we were in our teens or childhood or 20s as i was um you you can never go back i suppose yeah
3: absolutely and it, i mean maybe this is a good point to talk about um one of the few things that they've stripped out of the original version i mean we talk about the replacement further down but you've lost in this game the uh the photoshop guy from yeah, the dx version right. and okay fine this is clearly a thing that is built around the use of the Game Boy camera and printer, which yeah. come on. If anybody ever printed out any of those photos, I would love to see see like pictures of them stuck on your bedroom wall. But that was a thing that I loved in the first game because that also felt very obtuse and very random, that you would wander into an area and you'd get some sort of little uh, sort of mini cutscene and the photo guy would show up to take a photo. And some of them were very um very kind of locked into certain places i think there was one that you could only get if you went to the end of the pier or on the beach when you were um doing the escort quest with marin following you and he'd take a photo that's right and if you missed that you couldn't get it and the the absolute bane of my existence was not wanting to die so i could get the the secret ending and not wanting to be called thief i didn't want to steal anything from the shop but one of the photos, to get the full 12 out of 12 photos, one of them was kind of your mugshot after you'd been beaten up stealing from the that's shop.
0: That's right. Yeah, so, that's brilliant. Yeah. I mean,
3: yeah. I know it's not a massive thing, but I was very disappointed that there wasn't mm. either something else that kind of took its place, like another little collectible thing. I mean, mm. there is there is something, because they give you the, the little dolls of the Mario characters that you can find and go yeah. and place in people's houses. I would have liked something else, to fit in with the photos or something else that was kind of cool and quirky. And mm. we, we get something that we will talk about. But, yeah, sad yes. to not see the little, little mouse photographer catching you in, like, inopportune yeah. moments when you're tripping over on the edge of a cliff.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Truck Kurt from the forum says, having never played the original or any of the early Zelda games, my first being Phantom Hourglass, I was looking forward to giving Link's Awakening a go after hearing so much about it over the years. First off, I really like the graphical style and music, but that's about as far as my praise goes for this game. I just found it a very frustrating experience. This was primarily due to the puzzle design and lack of signposting as to where or what I was supposed to do next. This led me to resorting to a guide more than perhaps I have ever done for any game, which meant that I never had any satisfaction when completing it. I would blame myself for this if upon looking at the solutions actually thinking I could have figured it out for myself but in the majority of cases I just thought I would have never figured that out ever. I play all Switch games in handheld and the performance of this game was pretty awful. I'm not normally someone who is too bothered about frame rates but in this game it was noticeably choppy to the point where it harmed the experience. Overall disappointing. Yeah the toys and collectibles. uh, I mean I got about four of these i don't know how many there are uh it i like cute little collectibles in games i'm fine with that i would spend plenty of my yen in shenmu buying capsule toys in uh, in in shenmu but uh but here uh, i i just didn't really feel motivated to engage with the collect them up of mainly enemy sprite debris to go on plinths. did anyone go any further with this? No, not me.
3: I don't know how many of these are I would have possibly got all of them. I think they just populate in the trendy game um until you've got them all and then they stop. But unfortunately they don't really do anything. They just look kind of cute little plushies on people's tables. So Fair yeah, <laughs> more more actual uh, effect would have been nice, but it, I mean I guess it's just, you know, more time messing about with that awful crane which honestly the physics of that thing oh, right. are <laughs> Very much like a crane game in real life would be, and I, I find it hilarious because uh. obviously in the original game it's just a few little frames of animation. It goes up. If it's in the right spot, it picks a thing up. It comes back up. It drops it. But
0: well, there is there is a, there there is an element of physics to it because the the items can actually wobble their way right. through the gaps. It's not like a real crane game in that it's not rigged, so the crane will always grab properly in in the game. And I actually got really good at it. Uh, although I didn't use it to collect uh, the too many of the, the little trinkets, although I did a few, I did spend a couple of happy sessions there hoovering up all the actual useful stuff, heart pieces and whatever else. And uh, yeah, I, I think the last time I played, I just got three out of three straight away. No problem at all. Oh, yeah.
3: I'm pretty sure you can use it to basically get infinite money as well, because if you leave the shop and come back in, there's a, Fifty rupees there a lot of the time, so I think you can oh, you yeah. can get your okay. profit of forty rupees and disappear and repeat. Add That's, not how, sure. I I
0: didn't That's how I paid for
2: my shoes. bow. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, is it okay? I, I never needed to. For some reason, I ended up with too much money most of the time. I
2: ended up with too much money Which... only after I already had right. purchased the things yeah. that I that I needed.
0: There was a point. Yeah, you're right. There was a point where I spent a ton of money. I spended. I spent. <laughs> A ton of money, um. But yes, uh, uh, the economy didn't. There, there was a bit where I had to do a bit of uh, grass grinding. <laughs> <laughs> if you're no, that's not what a dog does when it's got worms. It's uh, it's what you do in Zelda when you need rupees. And yeah, you yeah were... if you
2: if you want to get did the he... shovel as early as you can, then it's it's tough to get that without you know doing that kind right. of grinding. So yeah, that's I think that's what I did. But like after the shovel and the bow, there's not a whole lot more for you to do. I guess you have to pay. Uh, what's his name for the the ocarina song?
0: Oh but that's not even yes, that much it's like what
2: 200 or 300 something like that
0: it's it was that was you're yeah. right that was the point where i did have to go and rustle up some more cash there's also the bit where after you make your exchange one item for the boomerang at the end you can then buy back the item that you exchanged from the frog guy is it or some some I weird didn't actually guy.
2: get the boomerang this last time so uh I don't know.
0: Oh, okay, don't even need yeah. The boomerang's pretty powerful. It is, yes. Uh, I just yeah. forgot about it. Didn't Quite didn't handy. really need it. Yeah, you don't need it though.
2: I think you could probably technically get through, well, I don't know. I, you might be able to get through without the bow, but it would be very hard if you did. I don't know. I didn't. I got the bow, so
3: I think it might be required for some of the final
0: nightmare forms. There Maybe. is a There There is a puzzle that you have to shoot a statue in the eye. Oh,
2: yes. Okay. Yep, never mind.
0: Maybe that's the only one, though. Maybe that's the only one I can think of. I was hoping for more of that. Uh, It's
3: also a bit of a curiosity with a Zelda game to have the bow that is normally such a staple of, you know, dungeon items, absolute guaranteed to have it locked here behind a shop that costs you almost your entire uh, wallet's worth of money.
0: Yeah. And again, it doesn't really spell it out for you at any point that you need to go to a shop or buy a bow i don't think uh, it's just kind of you know if you know or you work it out uh, i guess it becomes obvious anyway we must crack on pd from the forum says this was the main reason i bought a nintendo switch i just had to play this new version after seeing so many images and videos it looked amazing My love and memories came flooding back when I started playing again, even though muscle memory kind of kicked in and I knew where to go and what to do. I really took my time to make sure I took in all the new details of the characters and the world around the music was just sublime. And I loved playing the game in docked mode and having the soundtrack playing away for hours on the TV whilst enjoying the game. Even watching the ending really gave me a huge burst of nostalgia. So much so was I thinking I needed to give myself 10 minutes to pull myself together. No doubt I'll play this again, much like I did with the previous two versions, and I still love every minute of it. This game is up there as one of the most important games I've played throughout my 30 plus years of gaming. And this remake is everything I would have wanted for Link's Awakening. I just have to reiterate how much I love this game, even though this was just another retelling of the same story I've played countless times. The way in which they recreated the feel for the game like it was still the original is just brilliant. See. Mm full some praise there from PD told you we had a spread of opinions so yeah this one major extra feature i say major uh i i did not engage with it i feel bad about this from the show's point of view but i always felt like because you sort of you're collecting bits for it throughout uh i never felt like i was kind of ready to go with it this is the dungeon builder or chamber dungeons function uh you can also get chambers as well as throughout the game and from the crane game uh, you can use amiibo to get uh chambers uh, wikipedia describes it thus dampe's shack which houses the players customized chamber dungeons replaced the camera shop from Link's awakening dx the chamber dungeon came after shigeru miyamoto inquired with aonima if there was any way to implement super mario maker like gameplay into the zelda series Feeling that simply allowing players to create their own dungeon would be too difficult, Ionima instead introduced Chamber Dungeons by way of letting players rearrange dungeons as a way of achieving this goal, proposing it as a puzzle itself for players to solve. I, sound, I like the sound of it, but the response to it elsewhere seemed to be pretty muted, so I guess that's why I wasn't moved to try it. Have any of you played some, played with this?
2: No, I it, the the benefit for me to Zelda dungeons is that they are crafted, so just kind of right. sticking them together piecemeal doesn't really appeal to me.
0: Mm. That's what a lot of people said about Mario Maker. Well, yeah, I also don't really care for
2: Mario Maker personally, but uh, mm. I, I mean, if, yeah, if there we go. I, I I can imagine if uh, if Mario Maker is something that that people are really into, I can imagine like a a full on zelda maker to be a fine idea i just don't think that in this particular context it would work out that well without all the features that that mario maker had as
3: yeah kind of a combination of what you've both said like on paper this sounds very good but in practice i found it to be quite dull and i think yeah the full-on zelda maker idea of having absolute control over what you can make is kind of It's a far cry from this, which is essentially you get these little um, templates for rooms and it's kind of just like put these templates together and, you know, turn eight little rooms into a full dungeon. You've got to have rooms have to line up, but they're all already built. You don't really do any creation of it. You just slot Mm -hmm. these little pre-created rooms together. And the other thing that I think caused me a bit of problems with it was, you don't really find enough of the chambers through natural gameplay to no, do much. right You have yeah. to either, you win them in the trendy game or buy them in the shop, I think, for the most part. Or Amiibo.
0: Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, nobody gave us any feedback about it either. If if we'd had somebody saying, this is the best thing to happen to Zelda forever, then I'd feel worse about us not having uh, engaged with it really, but uh, actually no one even mentioned it, other than in passing, so... Finally, long form wise, we have And Then We Play from the forum, who says The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening was my first video game ever back in 1998, when I would receive my first gaming console ever, my Game Boy Pocket. But there is a deeper story behind this game. I would receive the Game Boy and Link's Awakening after finding out at the age of six the news that my mother passed away. I've played Link's Awakening on that Game Boy countless times, but never reached its conclusion. And much like you said all the way back in issue 212, I never listened to the podcast to avoid spoilers because I knew it was a game I wanted to finish on my own. Years later, on September 20th, 2019, I would buy a Switch Lite and a copy of the Link's Awakening remake. What I was treated to is one of the most beautiful, colourful and vibrant worlds I've seen in a video game in recent years. The toy-like aesthetic really brought the world to life each dungeon creating a forbidding contrast compared to the green prairies or the sandy beaches of the overworld. The music, much like the original game, is forever ingrained in my soul, the sword search song being a highlight. What shocked me most about this Zelda game compared to any other Zelda game I've played were the themes of the story. Characters appeared nearly one dimensional, which felt by design, as, the much, as much as the limited hardware of the Game Boy and learning the truth about the windfish and realising all the characters I've seen dancing, singing and going about life would cease to exist and vanish without a trace, I felt a shiver go down my spine. I then collected all the items in the world to see that ending sequence and finally closure. Link's Awakening might be among one of the most important games I've played in my life. Since its release, I've played through it four times and probably a fifth after writing this. This game may not be for everyone. It can be simple. Combat, although fun, lacks the depth of the 3D Zelda games. And puzzles can feel obtuse. But I love this game and recommend it to any Zelda fan or fan of games in general who wants a cosy, beautiful game on the Nintendo Switch. Very nice. Thank you. Rather more pithily, we have three word reviews. Follow us on at Kane and Rince. Starting with Darren.
1: Magical Isopod says... Link's lackluster lookalike.
3: Gadget 8 bit says pretty,
0: poor frame rate.
2: No More Spiro says go away, Dompey. Huh.
0: Angry Kurt says I am stuck.
1: Tree Smurf says cute and confusing.
0: Kieran something says needs a walkthrough. Shiny Waylord
2: guy says crane game hell.
0: Deadbeat Punk says trendy game Yoshi. Invisible Kraken, such adorable aesthetics.
3: Uh, Toonska Toons says, art style sings.
2: A. Ironman says, still my favourite.
0: And Bearfish Pie says, pristine, piskeen, or possibly piscine. Let's go with piskeen dream.
1: Is it French? Is it piskeen for swimming pool? Like waterland, maybe?
0: Well, it, yeah, it's, it's also an English word for just fish-like uh, or okay. fish relating F- to fish. Fishy. Yeah. Fishy. <laughs> fishy. Yeah, fishy. Uh, right. Let us conclude our thoughts on the Link's Remaking with the man yeah, who coined the it. phrase Inventor. at the same time as other people. Mm-hmm. Trend.
1: <laughs> that's me. Yeah, Link's uh, Awakening on the Switch is is a really enjoyable video game. Uh, you know, inherently for me, uh, just as a Zelda game and all the things that come with it, make it a good time to play. Um, but as this remake cost in, you know, the money that it costs, uh, even the limited edition to... I would probably err on the side of maybe playing the Game Boy 1 over this. I, only for reasons because, you know, it's, it's pretty much the same game. Just with kind of a, a, an art style that I want to like more than I actually do. Which doesn't mean to say that I don't like the art style. I just kind of wish it kind of stood still rather than moved around. Because as soon as it starts moving, it kind of loses its charm. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, if you haven't played Link's Awakening, either new or old, you'll have a good time. And uh, but just don't expect the well for my personal taste the the grand epic adventure that kind of comes with the series of, you know before and after.
0: Thanks, Darren. Yeah, I think I'll go here. I certainly had a pleasant time playing the Link's Reawakening. That's not what it's called, but I'll go with it uh, on the Switch. I. I did like the art style, I liked the visuals, but I didn't adore them. I I liked rather than loved in the end the overall look of the game, and I think it was tarnished as was the overall playing experience by those technical issues that have not been addressed or fixed. Somewhat, as I say, not ruinous but tarnished—a fly in the ointment, if you will. However, the the core of all the things that are lovely about the original Link's Awakening absolutely still here with the benefits of some nice little quality of life improvements and a delightfully sort of uh, modernized soundtrack the puzzles in the dungeons are mostly still really beautifully designed I think Uh, yeah some of the some of the some of those in the series that this was yeah at, at the peak of their 2d dungeon designing powers I think uh, as I say, maybe as I, th- I think John said that maybe Link's Awakening, uh, Link to the Past, sorry, is still the apex of dungeon two D dungeon design for me. But again, that's my my first Zelda, so uh, that probably helps. Also, thinking about that as as my affection for this game, although it took me a long time to get around to finishing it, I still have so much uh, so much love and respect for the two D Zelda sort of concept and format as well as the 3D, that uh, that these these types of games still really appeal to me. But yeah, just a few little things that mar the overall experience. Perhaps they could have done a bit more with it. Um, it's it's sort of ironic. We're, we're sort of uh, understanding now that some of the games coming out at the moment have been compromised by the global pandemic situation, but obviously that wasn't the case with this. Uh, none of its issues or shortcomings can be Blamed for blamed on any sort of acts of God or extraneous circumstances, as far as we know. So, I'm not really sure why it isn't quite the pristine, as our last three word reviewer called it, product that I think I was hoping for. But still, uh, it's a really nice uh, and cute remake. Um, But yes, it's quite expensive, I think, for what it is, uh, if I'm honest. John,
3: I can't really. Not do this without having my massive biases from how much I enjoyed the original version of Links Awakening. Sure, and... that's not that's not no, a problem. I mean, I guess that's that's the beauty of a remaster, right? Like you've already got the the love for the game built in. So I'm not I'm not coming to this thinking. Oh, I wonder what they're doing with this this fancy new Zelda game. I'm coming to this thinking. I want to see how all of the things that I've got this huge affection for have been updated. You know, with both the new visuals and the new the new music in this and I think we have talked quite a lot about the visuals being a bit hit or miss and I'm not a hundred percent sold on them being fantastic, but I think it's a really nice upgrade and the music is absolute standout. Some of the best in class, which is you know a huge amount of um, Zelda music and Nintendo music in general is, is sort of right up there with that, um, that Pantheon. Um, it's, I would say it's a very easy recommendation to make but you have both previously mentioned that it's not the cheapest of games and it's never that cheap and the flip side of this is if you've got a 3DS with the eShop you can buy the original game for probably about a maybe a seventh or an eighth of the price of this and yeah it's about
0: maybe maybe a tenth even it's about 4 or five, yeah, it's, yeah
3: it's not expensive um and that original game still has a huge amount of um, the things that are as good as they are here. So you know, it it is a recommend, but it's a maybe uh, maybe the sort of the D make or the the original version is is uh, certainly satisfactory. And it's it's going to be interesting for me because I've played um, generally the Game Boy Color version of Links Awakening probably every two or three years since the late 90s and I'll be interested in another year or two when I get that hankering again to see which version of it is that I, I end up picking back up. So, uh, yeah. Fantastic game. Huge amount to love about it but there is that caveat of it's not the easiest and it's not the, the cheapest to get to.
0: <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? We so We so rarely talk about price of games uh, especially because so many games are available so cheaply but sometimes it does come up and it is if it's a relevant factor then it's a relevant factor but i think our perhaps our most caveat free assessment will come from leah
2: so i'm not sure that's true <laughs> i uh oh, okay. well, well <laughs> no i so assessment yes maybe because i i really do like this game uh, a lot and i feel like it is um Not easy difficulty wise necessarily, although I don't think it's all that difficult, but it's just easy to play for me. I found that I did a lot of like, I would sit down and then just two hours would disappear because I just kind of wanted to keep going and keep, you know, keep exploring and keep flowing through things. I didn't get stuck a lot, which is why I think things like that, the dungeon that we've mentioned so much towards the end of the game, stuck out to me so much is because that didn't really happen for me that much. I, I felt like I was able to. Relatively effortlessly make my way through the game and feel like I was making progress. It just it just really struck a good balance for difficulty, uh, and uh, reward for me, I guess. Um, I hesitate to recommend it though, and the reason for that is that it's it it's received such a mixed reception, even just mm. within the correspondence that we've received. I I mean. You might end up really liking this game, but as you know as we've heard it's it's also possible that you know you might end up really being disappointed by it or or not feeling that it's something for you um so i I can tell you that I personally like this game a lot, uh and it seems like overall we do pretty much agree uh amongst the panelists that it is uh a a you know it's it's a good game it is it is worth playing um but if if you haven't played this game and you some of what you have heard has turned you off then i would say maybe hold off um it 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 is good but it's not good enough if you if if there are things technically about it that bother you that i think you might be willing to push through um but i i could be wrong about that i'm 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 a little uh, i'm a little stirred up about this because i i'm not i'm not really Mm. sure whether i can whether i can say yes you should play this um i can tell you like i said that i i had a really good time with it um so i guess your mileage may vary but um yeah if you if you can and if you you know liked what you've heard here and have maybe watched some videos or uh seen some uh seen some coverage of this and you think that uh that it is uh something you might enjoy then go for it uh and hopefully you would uh you would get the same experience out of it that i did and not somebody like darren who hates fun the end
0: (laughs) have a happy time (laughs) with it uh well that's us up to date with the zelda series again at least until the next one in who knows for now it remains for me leon to thank darren leah John, Editor J, as well as our correspondents, and of course you for listening. Next time in issue 463, it's everyone back to Dunwall for Dishonoured 2.